Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today we are going to do a season one recap. I can't believe we made it this far, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the show, for sharing it, for subscribing, for telling your friends. Thank you to all the people all over the world who are listening. We appreciate you. And we are going to be back with more amazing content on July 18th of 2020. But for now, in this episode, I'm just going to give you some clips of some amazing people that I've talked to over season one. So just in case you've missed one of these conversations, what I want you to do is go on back and listen and catch up because we got some serious gems dropped by our guests and I don't want you to miss a thing. All right, y'all. Until July, stay healthy, happy, and productive. This was the comment that was made from the American College of OBGYN, that has mm. benign tumors only need to be removed if they're causing quality of life issues. So it doesn't yeah. have to be dying from them, but if you're having significant quality of life issues that you can't deal with from other ways, that would be a reasonable reason to take out the fibroid, but not just because it's there. I mean, before we mm-hmm. would do uh, minimally invasive surgery. So, you know, I started doing uh, obstetrics. I was delivering babies in the 70s. We had many women who had fibroids uh, who went to term uh, they had they had normal babies. They had uh, normal pregnancies. They had, may had a few extra bulges in there on their bellies from the fibroids, but we had rare complications from fibroids in pregnancy. Um, mm. They're non-existent. They certainly do exist. And a lot of it depends upon where the fibroid is. I mean, obviously, a fibroid growing within the endometrial cavity is not going to be uh, conducive to a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. But those intramural and the subserosal and the pedunculated fibroids, they were never a problem. They were never a problem during a pregnancy. And most women, unless, like I said, their gynecologist talked them into it, they didn't have hysterectomies. Thank you so much, Dr. Allen. This has been really informative. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. You know, thank you so much again, Asosa, for giving me the, op- the opportunity to talk about something that I'm very passionate about. And we detoxed her. She had a peg tube. She was uh, she had chronic obstructive lung disease. She had uh, heart failure. Had implanted a defibrillator, and her kidney started to fail in the hospital. And mm. the family did not want dialysis. And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Let's try this." And so I explained to them. We we put. Uh, uh, super juices and super greens uh, drinks through her peg tube. And wow. I moved her off a lot of medication. I stopped the uh, elemental dietary stuff, you know, food. And I just gave her green stuff through the peg. And she detoxed. She put out copious amounts of uh, mucus through her lungs. Uh, and she eventually walked out of the hospital. Amazing. And um, But again, we just saw amazing results. Mm. And so it was a process where I had this raw implementation of this, you know, nutritional program. It had very little to no structure to it, but it was amazingly successful. Yeah. And so my mindset at that time is that 
I have to figure out how to make this work? Well, number one, the scientific field and the government has known for over 100 years that African-American women are genetically protected against osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. African-American women don't get osteoporosis, period. Not unless they have some other disease or or are on some other medication that makes them uh, lose calcium. But normally, they do not get osteoporosis. So the number one alleged reason that people are encouraged to consume dairy products doesn't even apply to black people. Wow. Um, but, but we also know that 75% of African-Americans are lactose intolerant. So in other words, the government is telling you to eat food that it knows is going to make you sick wow. for no benefit. So how do we keep our healthy <laughs> energy abundant? Well, that is uh, called the the upright chi, the jung chi, the upright chi, the healthy chi. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this idea that by our everyday lives, we have the chance to create more energy than we need, mm. more chi, more life force than we need. So that we never need to, or that we don't need to, tap into this supply of vital essence or energy that we were born with. So mm. the idea is that through your lifestyle, you create this great defense, right? And that's your offense. And so what do we do? Where Where's that coming from? That's coming from what we put in our bodies. That's yeah. coming from our movement and exercise, it's coming from sleep, it's coming from laughter and emotional well-being and enjoyment of life. And ancient medicine is very big on being in your purpose, not in the woo-woo new age way, but really being right with life, being in harmony with nature. And that means a lot of things, but it means rightness with your own nature, authenticity, and it also means rightness with bigger nature. Is there anything as a health conscious person now, based on your experience and research, is there anything that's becoming a trend in our food supply right now that you feel like should be a concern for us for the next hundred years? Like lots of, <laughs> yeah, like lots of them. Don't, you know, don't get me started. I'm tempted to say. Give um, me like the top one. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the one that's on my mind right now. Okay. Here we are in the district of Columbia and I am very concerned that when I look at colorectal cancer, mm-hmm. overall, that battle is getting better. The colorectal cancer is diminishing bit by bit by bit by bit, except look at young people. And, and by mm-hmm. young, I'm going to say anybody up to age 49, mm. can't, colon, colorectal cancer in that group is rising. Why is it rising? The World Health Organization said processed meat. That's a technical term for bacon, mm. sausage, ham, hot dogs. Mm. All these foods are clearly they clearly cause colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. And if you're a young person, bacon is a fad. You're going to love yourself in the body that you're in right now. That is the message. For mm-hmm. me, that is really the message. Because the truth is, no matter what size you are, if you're looking to lose weight, to cha- make some change to your body, your literal cells and DNA works with you if you come from a position of love. 
Yeah. But guess what? The opposite is true. If you don't love yourself, it's like you're not going to lose your thighs. You're not going to get a tight booty. You're not going to get tight, you know, tight glutes. That's not going to really happen for you as as quickly or as effortlessly or completely as it would if you loved yourself in the body that you're in right now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because because honestly, you're creating resistance also too yes. to the thing that you want by having yes. this anxiety. And I see it in my clients all the time, you know, just anxiety. Yes. And so I, I agree with you. I think also to the reason why compassion is so important is because so many people are overweight for different reasons nowadays. I've had clients who oh literally went from normal to obese just because of specific drugs they were prescribed or yeah. they've had traumatic events and their adrenals shut down and then their thyroid shut down and then they, you know what I mean? So you just never know yeah. what somebody's going through. And I, I feel like it's very, um, it's, it's, it's better to be safe than to presume you understand what that person is going through. Hello, that's it right there. And the fact is, trauma is a lot of things. So it looks a lot different in different people. Okay, it is it is as varied as the people who've experienced trauma. And the fact is, more people than you realize have experienced trauma. The studies have said that the more teeth that you have missing, the more it shortens your lifespan. Wow. And I thought that, wow. That is amazing. You know, like you, you, because what happens is a lot of times people think that uh, one of the things that happens when you get older is that you lose teeth, but that's not, not necessarily an accurate assessment. Mm. You know, we should be able to keep our teeth for all of our lives. Mm. Right? So that's one of the things that uh, for us at our office is that we want you to be able to keep your teeth for the rest of your life. And just the way that they are now, your teeth, the way that they are at like 20, 25 should be the same way your teeth are at 105, Mm. you know, if you're able to take care of them. So I think one of the things that, um, to answer your question, one of the things that teeth really influence on like longevity is, um, is how you have your, your stomach, right? Mm -hmm. The first, the first part of digestion is your chewing of your tooth, mm-hmm. the chewing of your food by your teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's very important because what happens is that if you don't um, masticate that food enough and break it down enough. So, for example, if you don't have enough teeth to chew your food properly, mm-hmm. then what happens is when it goes through your digestive system, your stomach can't draw the nutrients out of that uh, right. out of the food. And it ends up being like half digested and half not digested. And I think that that's how you get some of these autoimmune diseases, like, you know, the, the stomach issues that people have sometimes. Yeah, and a lot of and so gastrointestinal that, issues. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. And then that goes back to you missing teeth, right? So that might be part of why it is that you're able to live longer if you have all your teeth. Mm. Because then you're able to you're able to to grind that stuff down. You're able to use it, get it so that your your body can use it properly. So for me, I think that that's one of the biggest things is that you really need to be aware that that if you have missing teeth, that you need to get those teeth replaced. How would you care for me as a black woman giving birth? Hmm. How would you support me as a black woman giving birth in a hospital? And if they're, and I, it's funny, I heard someone say this and I was like, whoa, that's so good. If they say, oh, I treat all my clients the same. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't see you any different. That is not your doctor. Mm. That is not your doctor because there are certain things that they need to be, antennas need to be up. Right. They need to be up, especially with the statistics that black women are dying at 
you know, alarming rate compared to their white counterparts. Right. Because of unnecessary interventions, because of bias, because of all the things. And so if their response to you is, oh, I wouldn't treat you any different. I would, mm, nope, they don't get it. Mm. They don't get it. Mm. If they say, oh, actually, yes, I would treat you with a little bit more care, a little bit more awareness, a little bit more, okay, we'll be checking your vitals, we'll be checking your blood pressure, we check it. Those are things, yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's something they need to know. If they don't even bring up the statistics, that is your doctor. Wow. So just knowing who is part of your team mm-hmm. and making sure that they are in the know and they're knowledgeable. That's the first step. The second thing I would say is, you know, doulas. I love doulas. I'm a doula. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here to walk you through your entire pregnancy. Mm. You know, we're here to make sure you have resources and have knowledge and know what's what. You know, and we, we're there to offer also, you know, informed consent, making sure that you know what's being communicated to you and what are your options. So, you know, doulas are great making sure you have a great birthing team, but then also just, you know, books, all the books, you know, one of my favorite books is um, Nurture by Erica Sheedy Cohen. She's a Mm -hmm. dear friend of mine. We wake up, we have eight hours where we're emptying the trash bin of the waste that were generated during our sleep. Mm -hmm. So we now need to uh, eliminate. So that's our elimination phase. And the third phase of our day, the third eight hours, is when we're putting in the building material, the building blocks. You know, mm-hmm. we're having solid meals. So how do these four groupings fit into the scheme of our day and developing our eating plan? So in the elimination period, we want foods that are high in moisture mm. and that are rich in fiber to just come in and we have eight hours, which I would call the break fast period. Mm. Where you're coming in and you're sweeping, mopping, scrubbing, scraping, and flushing things out. <laughs> yeah. So the foods you want to consume during this period are foods that facilitate that. So these I call the electrical foods, the foods that are highest in moisture. And the primary one being your coconut water, your young coconut water. Yes. High in electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> flushes things out. The next most uh, electrolytic high content foods are your melons, particularly the watermelon, mm. 99% moisture. So basically, you can just eat nothing but watermelon for breakfast in the morning, and it's going to clean the house. There's a lot of different beliefs that can create health problems because your mind is just doing what it thinks you want it to do, which is another rule of the mind. Mm. If you have an unconscious belief that being a mom sucks or being a mom is really hard, consciously you're like, I want a baby so bad. And then deep down you're terrified of childbirth or something, you know? Right. I think that's the part that I feel like most of us don't really understand. And when I started to understand that, it started to freak me out a bit because I was like, wait a minute, I can have a legitimate desire to be healthy to make more money, to have a certain career, to have a certain kind of relationship. But then underneath that, my programming could be sabotaging the very thing I want. Yeah. I mean, and there is the crux of what I do. It's always trying to figure out what the beliefs are that are keeping you from consciously getting the life that you want. 
I think it's about intuition, right? It's thinking about our gut. What does our gut say? How do we feel? Again, go back to the energy. How do we feel when we're with this person? Does it feel like they care about us? Does it feel like we really matter to them? Their words may say so. They may buy us gifts. They may take us to nice places. But how do we feel when we're with them? Right. How do we feel when they call? How do we feel when they text us? Right. Because for some people, there is literally a visceral response. Anytime my sister calls or texts me, I get excited because that's my sister. And we're really close. And we talk about some of everything all the time. And it's usually a really great time, even when it's been difficult to talk about stuff because it's a hard space to talk. But that relationship, there's something really that energizes me in that space. Similarly with my husband. Generally speaking, when he calls, when he texts, I'm excited to see the message. I'm excited to see this notification. But sometimes if we are mindful and if we slow ourselves down a bit to think about, wait, each time this person texts me, I kind of feel like my breathing changes. Mm. I feel like my heart is racing and it's more like a fear than it is an excitement. Or do I feel judged all the time? Do I feel like I'm having to walk on eggshells? Do I feel like I can't really think or can't really speak what I think? Or do I feel that I have to censor what I'm thinking or feeling to make them comfortable? Do I feel like I have to shrink and not be my full self with this person? Each of these things is an indicator that this may not be an emotionally healthy space for you because relationships that are healthy require the opportunity and the ability for both partners to be fully present and transparent. You can show up to a yoga class and just go through the motions. Yeah, you'll have some benefit. You'll receive some level of benefit, but there's not going to be this deep well of knowing thyself. Mm. That has to be on purpose. Um, That has to be an intentional mindset of saying, you know what? I am moving through these movements with openness to receive what shows up. I am offering myself at this moment on my meditation seat to be this vessel, to connect. Um, It's all intentional. I think that a lot of people struggle also with this idea that, um, that being quote unquote spiritual or being into like mind body practices also kind of means that you're going to be happy all the time. (laughs) 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 Um, And it sounds like you've gone through some really intense moments. Um, What would you say to that? Like, how do we navigate that, that, that kind of false idea? Yeah, it's, um, and when you said it, I just like had to chuckle as I'm sitting here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's, the thing that I say is that, you know, we have these practices for a really, really good reason. And it's, mm. it's not so that we can be happy all the time. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it'd be great if that's what it brought me, but not. Um, what it does is help me, helps me to navigate when I am in the hole. Um, mm. Or I'm going down this crazy, insane, rocky road, and I don't know what's going to happen, right? In that level of mm. uncertainty. And it creates this level of trust and belief mm. that, yes, I am going to get better. I am going to be in this, on the other side of this pain and suffering. Um, because you know, life is, is about balance. I mean, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to enjoy the beauty and the light and, and, and the, all of the happy times and the joyous times, if that's where we were all the time, right. And in, in every single moment, we experience those challenging moments. We experience the, 
the depths of the sadness. And then when we come out, we're like, oh my God, yes, there's hope. Mm. There's, there's something better on that other side. If that part of your body is not strong, and what I call that is more like your foundation, like your like the foundation of a house, right? So if there's mm-hmm. a if there's a crack in the foundation, then the body doesn't move efficiently. It'll still mm-hmm. move, it just won't move efficiently. So yeah. that is one of the major benefits to me of, of Pilates is that your body learns how to move efficiently and with control and with stabilization and with with strength, right? So it's a different mm-hmm. type of strength than, um, like I'm, I'm also a power lifter and it's a different type of strength. But what Pilates brings to my power lifting is a connection to my core body. And I can mm-hmm. tell when my body is off, you know, by how I'm squatting, which is most of the time while we're usually squatting in the mirror or we are uh, taping our squats or we're taping our bench press or we're taping our deadlifts. So you see all those things and your coach can see all of those imbalances in those things that they need to correct. And so with Pilates, it helps you connect into your core body so you can do those things correctly. You know, not only just to help you do those type of things better, you know, your sport or whatever exercise method that you do, but also to do your daily tasks, right? So Mm -hmm. we teach our clients how to pick up groceries properly without bending over, you know, rounding their back. How many people do you know that have pulled something trying to pick up some groceries? I know so many people. (laughs) many many and you know it's just a matter of teaching people how to move properly you know yeah and uh the other benefit is also you know is posture and posture is important in everything yeah your hair will grow really it really kind of depends on what's going on internally Mm -hmm. that if your hair is extremely dirty, Mm -hmm. it'll still grow. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But for people who don't have that like chemical makeup Mm -hmm. to promote growth, even through those very stressful times, because to not wash your hair is very stressful on your scalp Mm. um, because of the buildup that is kind of around the, the base of like the hair follicle. Okay. Um, your your hair struggling to get through all of that foolishness, the gunk, the buildup, the the dandruff, which is yeast, mm. um, the bacteria. You know, there's a lot happening mm. all over our body, especially on our scalp. Um, so there's a lot of things that need to just be washed away so that they can begin to do their thing again. <laughs> They're mm. always going to be there. Um, but you can't just let it layer on top of each other. It, that kind of makes definitely... sense to me. For some reason, I'm thinking, of, I mean, I might be thinking of this wrong, but it makes me think of like growing a plant in soil, like, mm. like, and, and removing weeds, one. right? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, is that, is that okay? Yep. Great idea. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I use plant analogies all the time. Uh, <laughs> even if people don't know about plants, I'm like, just imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so basically, <laughs> we don't want we. That's hilarious. Ask your mom. We don't want weeds. <laughs> like we don't want stuff preventing our hail follicles from breathing. Right. So part of the washing is clearing that debris away. Right, and creating like a proper environment. Um, yeah. But yeah. how often, though? How often do we actually need to wash our hair? 
so it really kind of goes back to again your your chemical makeup you know how how much you know oil is your scalp producing mm. um if your scalp is producing a lot um how how much yeast growth do you have aka dandruff aka dermatitis mm. which is a more severe version of dandruff mm. um and that's when it's like a you know like hypothyroidism and um hyper one is a low level, one is a higher level. So it's kind of like the same thing. Dandruff is the low level, dermatitis is a higher level. What? Um, I so did not know that. Active yeast. 